Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Is Hamilton's mayor going to use her new powers? The city's hospitals need millions for much-needed upgrades. Hamilton wants you to offer your opinion on the missing middle. More changes are coming to WestJet. The Ticats have fallen to 0-2 after losing in Toronto. And big news for the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame and Canusa Games. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Come July 1st, mayors of 26 Ontario cities, including here in Hamilton, are going to have strong mayor powers and the ability to, in some cases, veto some council decisions. The powers also will allow mayors to propose housing-related bylaws and pass them with the support of one-third of councillors. And these powers also give mayors the power to override council-approved bylaws, uh, such as zoning bylaws, and they would have the responsibility of preparing and tabling their own city's budget, uh, hiring and firing department heads. There's a lot of components to these strong mayor powers. Will they be used in Hamilton? Well, let's ask the mayor herself. Andrea Horvath is the mayor of City Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Madam Mayor, good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Rick. Good morning to you. So the strong mayor powers are now in effect. They were first given to Toronto and Ottawa. At that time, you said you wouldn't use them. Has your answer changed? Uh, well, I've always said that I believe the best decisions come with uh, collaboration uh, where you find common ground um, and you bring people along to uh, a place where we can move forward together. And that's that's kind of the way I've always operated and uh, the way I, continue, I can plan on continuing to operate. Uh, certainly, we have some pressing issues as a city uh, that we need to, uh, to move on. And um, I'm looking forward to having the council do exactly that heavy lifting. In saying that, is there a part of these strong mayor powers that is intriguing to you that you would think, you know, in, in a specific circumstance, this might be beneficial? Well, we're going to start digging into what uh, what the specifics are. As you know, the announcement came on Friday, and uh, we're I wasn't expecting this, first of all, uh, although there had been rumors that perhaps this was going to be coming next year. So uh, I was caught pretty flat-footed, as, as as was my team, as was the city council, as were, were the city staff. So we're, um, you know, we're going to spend a couple of weeks kind of digging into the details uh, because, of course, the the quote-unquote powers uh, don't take effect until July first, and so that gives us time to be thoughtful about um, about you know, what the implications are, and um, and how to, you know, deal with all of the things that you just talked about. So I'm not rushing into anything. That's not how I operate. I'm very thoughtful and uh, and, and like to have information and plans before I leap. And so I'm just, uh, I'm taking my time and, and always um, wanting to assure city council members as well, most importantly, the people of Hamilton, that every day I go into work, uh, I go in with the people of Hamilton as my top priority. Uh, that's why I've uh, I've um, run for mayor. That's why I'm at the helm. Uh, it's not about me. It's about uh, it's about our city. It's about our residents, uh, and it's about our future. Is part of this the potential political downfall of using strong mayor powers? I.e., you make some big decisions. It doesn't go well. Uh, it, it's not going to look good on that particular mayor. And and the other part is, does this potentially neuter some council decisions f- for the mayors who do use this? Well, I mean, I guess there's a lot of, uh, of speculation as to what could or couldn't be. Uh, I think if you are going to put your name forward in a leader, leadership position, you have to take with that 
uh, decision the reality that you can't please everybody all of the time uh, and that you have to make hard decisions. That's what leadership is. Uh, so sometimes those those decisions are ones that um, uh, that you know come with some risk. But for for me, it's not about the political risk. It's about it's about the community. It's about the city, uh, and it's about um, where we are right now, which is you know in some ways an amazing space in terms of uh, the growth of our city and the potential of our city, the investment that's coming to our city, the uh, the, the transportation networks that are coming. Uh, it, it's it's really positive. However, we also know we have some serious challenges, and I think particularly about those folks that are unhoused, as well as uh, the cost of everyday life and the fact that young people can't see uh, the ability to even consider buying a house in Hamilton because the prices have gone up so much, and of course rental uh, rates are are off the charts. And so th- those are challenges as well as opportunities that we need to grapple with. Um, you know, and and again. There are no easy solutions, so that means that there there will be risk with everything. But um, but that's what leadership's all about. Madam Mayor, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. That Have is, a good one, Rick. You too, Andrew Horvath, the Mayor of the City of Hamilton. Of course, the big focus behind this is cutting the red tape to build more homes. It's going to be intriguing to see how Hamilton does that by not using these strong mayor powers. Can be done. Some hard work is going to have to be done. That is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Over the next 10 years, Hamilton's hospitals are going to be undertaking some mega projects to update and upgrade their facilities. For example, Hamilton Health Sciences plans to spend about a billion dollars to renovate Jurvinsky Hospital. That's one billion dollars on a renovation project. Uh, St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton staring at an eight hundred million dollar price tag when it comes to updating its Charlton campus. These are mega millions we're talking about. The question is, should the city of Hamilton foot a portion of that bill? It's a debate that's being had at Hamilton City Hall. And joining us to talk about it is Jeff Beatty, Ward 10 Councillor with the city. And we welcome him back to Good Morning Hamilton. Jeff, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Doing well. Thank you for having me on this morning. Uh, as you know, Hamilton Hospital is asking for a, a contribution from the city for much needed upgrades. What has this debate been like? Well, I think uh, so far it's it's very early days. Uh, a presentation was made by Hamilton Health Sciences and St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton uh, last week at a general issues committee. And um, I think a lot of my colleagues around the table were surprised that there would be, <clears throat> pardon me, that there would be an, an ask uh, of the municipality. Um, and, and so that has started us off on an, on an interesting footing, but uh, because uh, perhaps they were not aware that that, that ask was coming. But uh, um, the comments that I made during the um, during the committee were such that, that I'm actually not surprised. Um, in fact, I, I was surprised that it hadn't happened sooner that this was the first that we're hearing of a, of a contribution from the municipality. Now, was the surprise because, I mean, this is usually a, a provincial or even a federal kind of ask or task. Well, that's exactly it. Is I don't think that a lot of people understand that uh, when new hospitals are constructed, um, it, it's kind of par for the course that the local municipality is asked to make a contribution of some kind, the, the local area. Um, also of note uh, that a lot of listeners may not know 
that the uh, construction basically just covers the shell, just the building itself. Uh, it is the local uh, fundraising arm, the foundations of the hospital, the local community that is expected to actually purchase the equipment and such that goes into the hospital. So there are a lot of unknowns about how new hospitals are constructed. I only base my experience uh, because the area that I represent out here in Ward 10 includes the Winona area. <clears throat> and Winona is primarily serviced by the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital in Grimsby. So this has been a uh, an issue that our community out here has been undertaking for a period of time, about uh, 15, 20 years, they've been working to rebuild the hospital out here and all of the local levels of, of uh, municipalities have contributed. And so that was where uh, my, my kind of baked in experience came from uh, when the ask came and, and there hasn't been a formal ask, it's just a, you know, broaching the topic, uh, but I've seen it play out here in in this uh, community. And so that's why it didn't catch me off guard. It didn't surprise me. We're speaking with Ward 10 Councillor from the City of Hamilton, Jeff Beatty, on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as Hamilton Hospitals looking for some cash potentially from the city. And I can hear the listeners screaming at the radios right now. Do we sure. even have the money to invest in these upgrades? Uh, well, that's a different question. I, I think that the motion that uh, Mayor Horvath put forward was to begin the conversation. And, and I think that's the important step is that, uh, I mean, it, it comes down to the fact that we have to be prepared for some kind of ask in the future. And and this is just, as I said, this is par for the course. This is how it is done currently with hospital re reconstruction. I also want to make note that this is not a new process. I mean, uh, in, in the Grimsby area, when we're talking about the reconstruction of West Lincoln, uh, uh, that hospital um, reconstruction project has been on the go for 15 years. It predates current government. It's it's an older process that we're talking about. Uh, it's not something that's brand new. Um, so, you know, th there's going to be some surprise, but I think uh, it, it comes from just a general lack of knowledge in the community, perhaps, about how things are, uh, are, are done. We have about a minute. Is there a deadline to this conversation? When do hospitals need to know from the city? Uh, no deadlines were presented, Rick. Um, this was just, I think, early days in terms of opening the channels of communication. There's going to be a, a report that will come back to council. That was the motion that uh, Mayor Horvath made, and I was happy to second that motion uh, just to begin having those uh, investigations, those reports. And um, there, there's going to be a lot more dialogue coming forward um, in the future, I'm sure. Uh, there's probably not an appetite for residents to say, yeah, raise my taxes, we'll, we'll you know, send that money to hospitals. Do we have any reserve funds to play with? I don't know. I'm going to wait for the report to come back. But to speak to your first point, I don't expect that anybody is going to be particularly happy about this. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that we should all just suck it up. Uh, what I am saying is this is the normal process. This is not outside the, uh, the, the scope of what normally takes place in hospital reconstruction. If you go to any municipality across Ontario, you will find a similar process that has taken place. But with that said, uh, I do expect that taxpayers across the city are, are going to be a little shocked to learn this. And, and do, we, do we have the ability to add that to the tax levy? That's gonna be a, an entirely different question. And, and as someone that uh, is very cognizant of the, the stress that we put on taxpayers, uh, I'm gonna be following this very carefully. As will we, Jeff, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Great Jeff to Beattie, chat. 
is the councillor for War 10 with the city of Hamilton. It's certainly a story that we're going to be following as this working group uh, kind of uh, goes through the process of debating how much we can contribute and what is the impact of that contribution. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's so many pieces to this puzzle to build more housing, which is what we absolutely need in this city. And there are other cities who are echoing that sentiment because without more housing, we're going to get more homelessness and we're going to get more first-time homebuyers looking to other cities to get into their first home and start building that equity and start chipping away at those Uh, for many people, sky-high mortgages. So Hamilton has some work to do. So to that, the city of Hamilton is asking residents to offer their opinion on how best to create more housing options to address the so-called missing middle. And we'll get into that definition with our next guest here. Maureen Wilson is the councillor for Ward 1 with the city of Hamilton and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Councillor Wilson, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm very well, thank you. So what do you and city officials want to hear from residents when it comes to that missing middle? Oh, you know, zoning is such a a nerdy but delicious part of planning. (laughs) So I'm really happy here um, to be here to talk about it. Well, let's begin, first of all, what are we trying to do and what on earth uh, is zoning? So zoning controls the use of the land in your city. So it's it states how you can Um, how the land can be used, where the buildings can be located, the type of buildings that are permitted, and how they may be used. So um, council is going to be asking the residents of Hamilton to give us a little bit of insight into what are called mid-rise residential zones and expanded transit-oriented corridors. So you use the term middle missing with middle um, missing because it is relative, it's missing. We have a lot of um, low rise single family homes, but we don't have those um, middle options, which we know are more affordable and where we can put them. It means it, it could pro- provide for a walkable, more complete um, community where um, people have an option to use transit and also to support transit. So if you can envision townhouses or uh, block townhouses or mid-rise apartments or, or condos. How big of an issue is this missing middle issue in Hamilton? Because there are pockets of the city that have these, you know, duplexes, triplexes, or maybe four or eight pad kind of units. Um, how much more do we need? Well, we need a lot more because we know that our population is going to be growing substantially over the next 30 to 40 years. And we also know we are going to be having more jobs. And right now, uh, in your opening remarks, you referenced the housing crisis. And so we need a whole bunch of different types of houses that are within reach for more people. And right now, uh, that's part of the reason um, that we're, we're seeing rises in uh, people not having an adequate place to live or any place to live at all. And we also know um, that we're going to enjoy the benefits of having more Canadians, com- more people coming to, to Canada from within Canada, from the United States and all around the world. And so we need more housing. But the benefit of mid-rise residential housing is that it's also a more efficient way in which to build housing because it's already within your urban boundary. So those roads are still there. um, The the sewer and the water are still there. The parks are there. So it's a much more cost-efficient type of development for uh, 
Hamiltonians who live here now and those who will be living here in the future. So it's kind of the opposite of sprawl, which just drains your bank account if you're a city. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Maureen Wilson, the councillor for Ward 1 here in the city. We're talking about Hamilton's missing middle when it comes to uh, different housing options. I am sure in this public input process, we're going to hear, you're going to hear a lot of nimbyism. Uh, We want to do this, but not in my backyard. How do you get around that? Yeah, you know, I think um, you're always going to hear that, but I, to be fair, I think it's changing. I think that there is a recognition that, um, you know, my my son or my daughter, they, they can't afford to get into the market. There's nothing of good quality for them to move into. And golly, I, I kind of want them out of my basement. Um, but this part of the mid-rise residential zones are looking to beef up, if you will, our minor arterial roads and our major arterial roads. So if I can give you a couple of examples of a minor arterial for those who live in Hamilton. Fennel, Fennel Avenue is a minor arterial. Um, Aberdeen, uh, Gage Avenue North. Um, so looking at those sort of um, those places where uh, we we have the opportunity, we have the land, if it can be assembled according to the, what the zoning will look like, um, and they are already close to um, they they are set within neighborhoods. So it's a really nice complement, and it provides for that transition. So a mid rise would be on a minor arterial up to six stories and on a a larger street like an arterial it could be up to 12 stories and it provides for that nice transition uh, very rare instances where it would be actually within the neighborhoods themselves. How can residents participate in this process and when will a report I guess go before council to say all right here's the plan? Mm-hmm. Well, staff, um, they're going to come back with what those particular options look like, but it's from now until um, early fall. So there'll be uh, open houses, uh, they'll be on the road, they'll be going to where uh, people are already gathering, perhaps to consult on something else so they can package these things together. And so they'll make better sense. There'll be online opportunities at engagehamilton.ca for folks to give their their feedback. Um, and, you know, it it is uh, all the nerds have to unite, come together and, and start embracing zoning. That's what I say. Last one for you. We've got 30 seconds. Are housing developers on board with this kind of focus? Well, they're going to have to be. Um, because we have some targets that we have to reach um, and we know we want good quality, um, beautiful designs. And we know that's where people are going to be able to afford to move. So um, they can build all they want. But if uh, we are already seeing rises in car delinquency loans, credit uh, is crunching and people just can't afford uh, more of the same. So I'm hoping developers are going to come to the table. I, I think you, if you can see the cranes in the air, particularly in the downtown, you, you see that there there is an appetite. Absolutely. Maureen, thank you very much for your time today. Best of luck with us. Thank you. Have a lovely week. You too. Maureen Wilson is a councillor with Ward 1 for the city of Hamilton as we discuss the missing middle in this city. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The airline industry, it has endured its fair share of turbulence since the start of the pandemic, from a massive drop in passenger traffic a few years ago to long delays at airports 
It's been quite a ride. And, and now this. After pulling the plug on discount carrier Swoop last week, WestJet is going to continue to streamline operations by shutting down Sunwing Airlines. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Marvin, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Glad to be here. WestJet really has not wasted much time in consolidating its operations. What is going on? Well, I, I'm not quite sure this is the same story as the Swoop story. Back on May 1st, if I can take you back six weeks ago, the federal government approved uh, WestJet's takeover of Sunwing. And back when they did that on May 1st, Swoop, uh, me, WestJet said that they were planning to fold the Sunwing operations into WestJet over a two-year period. And on the weekend, they basically reiterated that original plan. Uh, what they're going to do, and I don't think it's going to happen in this calendar year, 2023, more likely in time for the 2024-2025 winter traveling season, is they're going to take the 18 planes that Sunwing uses, repaint them into WestJet colors, and they're going to take the packages they offer those nice vacation packages, you know, flight and hotel, they're going to offer them, but they're going to offer them under WestJet vacations. And they're just going to consolidate those operations. It makes some sense. I'm a little surprised that you would spend money to buy the brand name Sunwing and then retire it a year or so after you buy it. That comes as a bit of a surprise. So maybe they're going to keep that uh, on the side and maybe at some point they'll bring it back out and dust it off. But what they're trying to do is find all the efficiencies they can and make a bigger fleet, a more flexible fleet. In other words, WestJet flights, or excuse me, WestJet planes will fly south when they need to, they'll fly east-west when they need to, and they can just reallocate what will now be a fleet of nearly 200 planes to do whatever it is they need to do. The reason is obviously consolidation, saving money, saving expenses, the, the cause of which is is a question mark. Is it the, the high fuel prices? Is it dwindling passenger traffic? What is the, the, the reasoning or the cause behind it? Well, uh, I'm going to give you two different answers, if you don't mind. Uh, certainly what was behind the swoop move was the most recent strike or almost strike by the airline pilots. Uh, they demanded equal pay for a job of equal value. And that sounds wonderful. But if you're offering a discount airline, one of the ways you do that is by paying those employees a little less money uh, uh, to, to af afford those cheaper fares and those cheaper deals that people have. I wondered at the time if this would by extension also mean that the people who flew the Sunwing flights would have to be paid the same. Now, they haven't formally come out and said that, but I won't be shocked if that's one of the reasons. In other words, if I change the cost structure, then, then there's really no savings to having quote unquote Sunwing when you're offering the same prices as you do with WestJet. But I think the other side of this is that there is a, a value to be into these charters and these uh, hotel packages that you offer. For airlines, you actually make a little better profit margin on them. But again, why would I have WestJet vacations and Sunwing vacations wouldn't it make more sense to take the options from Sunwing, add them to WestJet and go from there? So part of this, I think, is a cost efficiency. But I think the other part of this is an expansion of service. Just put it all under one brand name. It's going to be interesting to watch. That is for sure. Marvin, really appreciate your time this morning. 
Glad to be with you, Rick. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, Sunwing Airlines president. Len Carrado said the change will unlock growth opportunities for the 18-year-old company as well as its employees. That remains to be seen. Wish them the best. Uh, It'll be uh, interesting to see how they go about doing so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, listen, 16 more games to go in the season. Hasn't started out well as this team is and 2 uh-oh, and 2 for some of you who are leaning into that panic button. I, I will say, don't press it just yet. Lots of football still to be played. We'll get into it in just a matter of seconds. But I want to remind you that when you hear a Ticats touchdown followed by the fight song this morning, that is your cue to call to win tickets to this Friday's home opener at Tim Hortons Field. Let's make it guaranteed win night. How about that? When the cue to call plays, call us at 905-645-3221 or star 9900 to correctly answer today's Ticats trivia question. And you're going to win two tickets to that home opener. Ticats, Alouettes, Friday night, Tim Hortons Field. You're also going to get two tickets to see Forge FC versus Atletico Ottawa on Sunday, June 25th at Tim Hortons Field. Handoff goes to James Butler, gets down to the five, breaks a tackle, touchdown, Tiger Cats, James Butler. RJ Broadhead, the call on the Ticats Audio Network and 900 CHML last night as the Tiger Cats lost against the Argos in a Father's Day clash in T.O. So it's two games... Two losses for Hamilton, 32-14 the final last night. Toronto celebrating with their pregame Grey Cup banner raising. They received their Grey Cup rings. There was, what was it, the first 10,000 fans at BMO Field last night. Ended up going home with replica Grey Cup rings. Final attendance, by the way, if you're curious, 15,987. So, yes, 0-2 for Hamilton. Tiger Cats quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell. Some throws looked awesome. Some, not so much. Two of which really hurt the team. Two costly interceptions while the team was in the red zone that he threw in the end zone and really no other Ticat player was around. On the flip side, Argos quarterback Chad Kelly had a pretty good game. He ran for three touchdowns all in the first half as Toronto won their home opener in the first game of the season. Here's some of the highlights and, well, lowlights from last night. Chad Kelly wants to keep it, makes a move, got around Jagera Davis, dives into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Chad Kelly takes it in himself. Handoff goes to James Butler, gets down to the five, breaks a tackle. Touchdown, Tiger Cats. James Butler, his second in as many games. And the Tiger Cats are right there in the second quarter. Chad Kelly back in at quarterback, third and goal from the one. Kelly battling. And that second, third, maybe fourth effort, he kept the feet moving. Tiger Cats initially had stopped him, but he rolls into the end zone. Chad Kelly runs to his left, and it's a big first half for Chad Kelly, his third touchdown. That puts them up 21-6, and they've got a convert coming. Andrew Harris, he gets through the line, and he runs it into the end zone and spins the football. It's a touchdown for Andrew Harris. And the Argos are up 28-6. Throws to the corner of the end zone. It. it is caught 
It's a touchdown, Tyler Turnowski. RJ Broadhead and Luke Tasker with a call on the Ticats Audio Network and 900 CHML. Back to Bo Levi Mitchell, Hamilton's prized acquisition in this offseason. Hurt late in this game. He suffered what the team is calling a lower body injury and did not return to the ball game. I'm going to speculate it's either a groin or some kind of quad muscle. He was kind of reaching in that area. Let's hope he's back soon. Although, in saying that, backup quarterback Matthew Schiltz was pretty effective last night. 13 of 14, 115 yards through the air, through that eight-yard touchdown to receiver Tyler Trudowski, who made an awesome grab in the end zone, tiptoeing, or at least getting a tiptoe or a toe in the end zone to convert the TD. Fans on the fifth quarter, brought to you by Eastgate Ford on 900 CHML last night. Not too happy. This is not a very good team. The D-line can't stop the rush. A quarterback getting three touchdowns? Our secondary is terrible. We've had some bad, bad penalties. Our receivers aren't getting open. There's something going on there because when 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 Bo's throwing the ball up, there should be someone there. There's something going on. Our receivers aren't that great. But at the end of it, we don't have a very good team. And would I push the panic button on the second week? I would consider it because I can't see them replacing anybody in order to make this team good because the whole team is in a bad situation. Like You're talking about a team that's now 0-2. I know it's early, all these things. But when it comes down to it, we've been here before. We're always here. We never start strong. And I don't want to say like, oh, it's just another year or, oh, I'm sick of seeing these guys not perform. I don't know what it is, but I, I just want to see something do something i always say from the stands do something somebody perform just show me something you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml a couple of events that i attended over the weekend were absolutely phenomenal i mean 10 out of 10s on the entertainment value and the the community uh, feel that you just got At least I did. Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame finally has a home after holding a grand opening ceremony at the Eva Rothwell Center over the weekend. And the Canusa Games is going to hold an in-person competition here in Hamilton this summer for the first time in five years. Had the pleasure of speaking with Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame President Gary McKay on Saturday at the Hall of Fame at the Eva Rothwell Center. Listen in to what he had to say. We're here with uh, Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame President Gary McKay. Gary, this has been a long time coming. What are some of the things you're uh, feeling and uh, some of the things you're thinking about? Oh, it's, we're, we're all very excited. You, this, you say it, you're right. It's been a long time coming. It was, I think, 2009 when the Wall of Fame at Cops had to come down, and that's, that was the impetus to get this thing started. And, of course, just as we got it rolling, COVID came, and we couldn't get in here and do any work for two and a half years. So uh, to finally get it open uh, is very exciting. What more can you say about Don McVicker, the staff, all the volunteers here at Eva Rothwell Center? Oh, it's, it's been absolutely amazing. They've just been, you know, they, they let us in evenings to do work here, you know, when the, when the center's been closed down. And, I mean, Don has been the driving force behind this and, you know, uh, behind behind us. Whenever we'd slow down, he'd say, get it going, get it going, you know. <laughs> so it was, it's great. It's been really exciting to be here. Paint a picture for the people who haven't seen the room yet and what is in there. Um, we have, we, we're trying to tell the story of Hamilton sports history um, through the people who have been inducted, teams, builders, referees, officials, media people, and athletes. Um, and so we try and have a little bit, uh, we have a story of each person who's been inducted, and I think we're closing in on 100 people who've been inducted. 
Um, and then a lot of people, not all, but a lot of them have given us memorabilia. We have medals, for example, from the from the uh, the British Empire Games in Hamilton. That we have the lawn bowling teams medals, um, and we have uh, you know Bill Friday's uh, WHA sweater. And there's just all kinds of neat stuff. We have a we have a program when the Hamilton Tiger Tigers, the hockey team, oh, wow. um, played the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, uh, at the Hamilton Forum, and George Vezina was in goal for the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens. So we have a whole bunch of really neat stuff to look at. So that'll get people excited, I think. And behind and uh, all of these artifacts is a story about a person, an event, uh, but they're all connected to here at Hamilton. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 as I mentioned in my opening remarks, that you know Bill Shuttleworth uh, founded the very first baseball team. Uh, in Canada, we've ever, only ever been able to. We know he's from Hamilton, but we've only ever seen one pitcher, a really old pitcher. He helped write the rules of baseball. Um, neat stories like that. There was a woman, Dorothy Campbell. Uh, she only lived in Hamilton for about four or five years, but when she was here, she won. She became golf's first female superstar. She won everything that was to win in the early 1900s. So um, all of these people weren't necessarily born here, but they, you know. Some of the Hamilton Tiger Cats weren't born here, but they accomplished greatness while they were here. Another big event coming October 25th, uh, because this this place is going to grow. We're going to have more inductees. Absolutely. We expect another, the last, I'd say, five or six years, uh, we've been putting in five people or teams. Uh, We know more than one team, but we expect there'd probably be another five uh, going in this fall. And what's interesting is we have a selection committee separate from the organizing committee. So they meet and tell us, okay, here's what we're putting, here's what we're recommending for this year. We rubber stamp it, you know, generally. Well, congratulations. It's been a long time coming, and it's, uh, it's awesome to see. Well, thank you, and CHML has been a big supporter right through this all. Thank you. Gary McKay is the president of the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, and it was fantastic to be at the Eva Rothwell Center on Saturday to take in the official grand opening. And what a room. I mean, it, it is steeped in Hamilton sports history. As for the Canusa Games, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to hold an in-person competition here in this city this summer for the first time since 2018, Saturday morning. I met up with uh, the Canusa officials. They had a grand uh, uh, grand kickoff, if you will, to this year's games. And I spoke with Canusa Hamilton president, Louise Pelchowskis. We're here with uh, Louise Pelchowskis. Um, this is exciting. You know, for the first time in five years, Canusa is back uh, in not in virtual mode, but in real life mode, I guess. How does it feel? Uh, it's exciting. We're very pumped, to say the least, to have it back live in person and be hosting it as the 65th Games. Now, you still need some athletes. How can people get involved? Uh, people can get involved by um, going on to our website, canusagames.com, reaching out to our emails. There's a volunteer section um, as well as an athlete se- section that gives all the list of all our tryout dates coming up. We have a, a different venue for our opening ceremonies this year as well. It's the Dave Andrzejczyk Arena as opposed to Bernie Arbor Stadium, which is going to be fantastic and on, on August the 11th. Uh, talk about the excitement from the kids. We had a lot of kids here today, and they're certainly raring to go. Yes, uh, very excited to go. And it'll be exciting to be in a different location this year inside, so it'll be a totally different feel mm-hmm. for everyone. Um, the kids are excited to have all their friends coming back from Flint, and we're excited to see the friendships again. 
because it's been a while due to COVID and the whole bit, is does it feel like you're starting over a little bit in terms of the, the anxiousness, the excitement, the apprehension? Definitely. It's been um, having to host it here. It's definitely been a challenge trying to get all our organizing of um, fields, locations, tryouts, making sure all our coordinators and coaches are back. And so, yeah, it's been had up and down since uh, starting this year. Is there anything new in terms of sports or different venues you're using here locally apart from the arena? Uh, tennis is back. We haven't had that in quite a few years, as well as flag football is back this year. So we're excited for those. Um, different venues. Most of our venues are exactly the same, except for obviously for flag football and tennis. Uh, tennis will be at Rosedale Tennis Club, I think, at this point. Um, and flag football will be with our soccer fields and such. Now, adding those, is that because there was an increased appetite to have those sports back? Yeah, and we had uh, coaches and coordinators reach out to us asking if we would bring it back to uh, Canusa Games. So uh, we felt we could do it. Flint had the uh, coaches and athletes, so we're going to do it this year. How are the people of Flint feeling? What kind of feedback have you gotten from them? They're excited. They're truly excited to come to Hamilton this year and uh, see their billets and start this friendship again back in Hamilton. Thanks for the time. Good luck with the 65th Canusa Games. Thanks, Rick. That is Canusa Hamilton. Louise Palchowskis. Canusa Games runs from August 11th to the 13th. And go to canusagames.com to get your kids or grandkids involved in this great event. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.